Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, November 29th, we are studying Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. This is our last day of looking at the readings that are appointed in the lectionary for the day of Thanksgiving. The text from Luke 17 is the gospel reading many of us heard during one of the last two days at our congregation's worship service. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sam Wergau. Pastor Wergau serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Well, thanks for having me. So, Pastor Wergau, we're looking at Luke 17, verses 11 through 19 today. It's not part of a, a larger series where we've been hearing about Luke before, and we'll be hearing about Luke after. We're just picking it up out of the blue. So help us with some context in terms of where we are in Luke's gospel, what's going on, what do we need to know as we dig into the text today? Right. So first thing that you kind of see, if you're familiar with Luke's gospel at all, um, and I know some, if they've on the series C of the lectionary, they've probably been going through it um, uh, throughout the year, especially during the ordinary time of the summer and the fall. Um, so they might have had this pericope just recently, but um, uh, Luke's gospel in general uh, has some key key features, and especially as we're kind of uh, with the outline here, we see that this takes place, Luke 17 in particular, kind of in the broader outline of Luke's gospel and, and specifically of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is part of uh, uh, the travel narrative, I think is, is how some commentators talk about it. And that is the idea that, that there's kind of a turning point in Luke's gospel uh, right at, uh, at 9, um, 950, 9.51, in which uh, it, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, that is Jesus to be taken up, and we understand taken up there to be taken up upon the cross, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And then continuing on from there, we see that Jesus is constantly journeying to the cross, that all the events that take place, all the teaching, all the uh, miracles, everything is taking place in the context of, of Christ's uh, destiny, if you will, his ultimate goal uh, of, uh, of the cross. And, and what's really interesting then with, with, uh, with this pericope in particular with the healing of the lepers is that it begins with verse uh, 1711 uh, with, on the way to Jerusalem. Uh, and that's one of the three, I believe it is, uh, travel notices that Luke kind of, that some commentators see as Luke putting these travel notices in his, uh, in his, uh, in his uh, uh, gospel, uh, just reminding his hearers and the idea here that Jesus is continuing to travel to, to Jerusalem. Uh, and this is a particular episode in that journey to the cross. Uh, it actually, it's really interesting because that word uh, for um, um, journeying, the Greek word for, for journeying, uh, is kind of, of conducting oneself of uh, uh, something of that nature. Uh, the same word for journeying is actually when we get to the end of this little pericope, is the word that, that Jesus actually gives to the, to the leper, in fact, when he says, um, uh, uh, rise and, and, and go your way, is how I think the ESV translates it. But the idea here is rising, uh, journey. It's the same word that, the word that was used for Jesus on his, on his journey to Jerusalem, uh, which is kind of an interesting connection there. Uh, but So that's kind of the broader picture. What also I found really interesting looking at this again, and just looking at what kind of came right before this, is that this is right kind of in the midst of a really dense part of Luke's gospel, which is not exclusively, but primarily made up of Jesus' teaching. So if you have a red-letter Bible, there's a lot of red letters from 15, uh, uh, even 14 onward, and that is that there's a lot of teaching. We know the parables, we're very familiar with the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son— in 15, the dishonest manager in 16, and then Jesus just continues to have these these teaching uh, uh, teachings that he is uh, teaching to his uh, to his disciples, and then it's just like it seems like just kind of like smack dab in the middle of it, we have this cleansing of the ten lepers, uh, 
so it, it's really interesting to see it in the context there, that there's all this teaching concerning salvation, concerning the kingdom of God, concerning repentance and forgiveness, uh, what Christ is coming to bring. And then we have, I think, I mean, obviously, it's a real miracle that happened, but it also serves as a vivid object lesson then to to the fact that this isn't just words or teachings. This is a real stuff that Christ is bringing, that his teaching, his word actually brings this healing and this, um, this cleansing and this, this salvation. Is there, is there one particular parable that you think this one seems to be illuminating more than, than the others? I, I, I you know, I, I preached, I've been preaching on Luke during season or series C. And, and so, I mean, I've yeah. gone through these parables, preached on this text when it, when it came up in the lectionary earlier on the Sunday morning. And I guess I'd, I never really mm-hmm. thought too hard about that. Is there, is there one of the parables in particular you think it fits better than the others or just more in general, an example of the salvation Jesus has been talking about? You see, I was thinking kind of in general, but I think you do have a sense with the, um, perhaps with the one that comes before, for it with the understanding, um, uh, actually with the one coming after it in 18, uh, the parable of the persistent widow. I think mm. we see in the lepers, and this is part of why we kind of incorporate this Luke 17 with, with Thanksgiving, but the idea of the persistence of faith, uh, that these lepers, despite their, their situation, still uh, pray. They still cry out uh, to the Lord uh, uh, Jesus, Master, have, have mercy on us, uh, which is a prayer. It's a petition, and, it, and it's, you think of um, where the lepers are in the fact that this, this cry, which we'll, we'll talk about here in just a minute, has to come uh, from the depths of that situation. Uh, uh, perhaps that's one way to tie it in, but I was thinking a little bit more generally, but that's definitely something sure. worth kind of digging into and, and thinking, I think, uh, uh, like I said, I think it fits in with the overall kind of theme, all the parables really, in one way or another, well, the whole gospel really is about God's mercy in Christ, you know, uh, right. it really ties into everything. Uh, and, and again, I think we see that in the parables, we see that in the general teaching, this is what the kingdom of God is about, um, and, and faith which receives that. And then I think, like I said, I think just you get this great then visual object lesson of the lepers and Christ putting the words into action. So let's go ahead and see what that that vivid object lesson is as, as Christ heals these 10 lepers. Here, we're, again, we're in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he, that's Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give thanks to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So there's the text, Pastor Wergal. And we'll, we'll talk about some of those things that you, you brought up already, that rise and go your way. I think, you, I think you're right to notice the, the sim, similarity of the verb there to the beginning, but we'll, we'll come to that. So, so as we get mm-hmm. started, you know, one of the things that, that stands out about this text is the matter of location. And Luke introduces that to us in the very beginning. He, As you pointed out already, he's, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is part of his journey toward the cross. And this particular text, Luke tells us, happens while Jesus was between Samaria and Galilee. Why, why is the location a significant part of this text? Yeah, because we're going to find out that one of the Samaritans, that one of the lepers, I should say, is a Samaritan. Um, Jesus' location is, 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 is really significant here because, oh, if you got your Bible, uh, you got one of those little maps in the front of your Bible like a lot of them have. Um, it, it, you normally find this like right smack dab in the middle is kind of around where Jesus is. Now, we're not sure it says a certain, uh, it says he comes to a, a certain village. Now, we're not sure what village that is, but the general area he is, is so you got Judah, Judea way down in the south. And then you have Samaria kind of in the middle, and then you have Galilee 
to the north and then up above that Syria. Uh, uh, but Galilee, we know that's the place of Jesus' um, boyhood home, Nazareth. Uh, uh, he he uh, did a lot of his early ministry up in Capernaum and these sorts of uh, those sorts of areas, and now um, he's somewhere between Galilee and and Samaria. And the idea this comes up in Luke's gospel too. The idea about um, traveling around Samaria instead of going through it and 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 things of that nature. The idea being here because this introduces the understanding that we're going to run into uh, Samaritan, and and so that you know you've probably perhaps heard about. Um, Samaria, Samaria, and uh, the significance of of the, uh, the the Samaritans. Again, so we're going to come up to that. That this one who comes as a Samaritan, and Jesus is going to call him a foreigner, which is really interesting. But just for the context of what we have when we're dealing with Samaria, and we're dealing with Samaritans in particular, um, it's clear throughout the Gospels that comes up again and again that the the Jews look down upon these Samaritans. And historically, they really had had their reasons to do so. Uh, the Samaritans at Jesus' time, uh, they were people who, who who were perhaps of a Jewish heritage, but during Israel's captivity under foreign rulers, it was really corrupted through intermarriage by foreigners. Uh, there's lots of, of history that, that made the Samaritans in the eyes of the Jews to be um, lesser, if you will. Uh, the Jews were really God's people. The Samaritans were were looked upon, down upon, and despised. And there were even, that, that's kind of historical, uh, you know, bloodline type of thing, but there was even uh, theological significant differences between the Jewish people, which I really do think comes into our text. Uh, you definitely see it in John 4, when Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman at the well. There, the subject of worship and uh, really comes into play. But even here, I think there, there's, there's something to it, because the Samaritans, so just, if, if we remember, um, they, uh, first of all, they, they only held to the, the Pentateuch as the Word of God. So what we have is the Old Testament scriptures, uh, including the histories, the, um, the, uh, the Psalms, and the uh, prophets. Uh, the Jews in Jesus' time, you know, accepted that canon. Uh, but the Samaritans only had uh, the Pentateuch, or the five books of Moses. That is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so their, their theology, even concerning who the Messiah is, was drawn from only those, those five books. So they didn't have a lot of, of the, uh, uh, we have it, uh, the, the messianic prophecies and proofs, especially significant as Jesus as the son of David. Uh, but, but they did hold that there would be a Messiah and, and that he would be the one actually promised uh, to be the, uh, the um, uh, prophet greater than Moses that was promised in Deuteronomy 18. Um, and so that, that's one th- significant theological difference. And the other one was their, their place of worship, right? So they, they maintained that the proper place of worship was not Jerusalem and the temple, but was, the, uh, was at actually Mount uh, Gerizim. And so that was a, a significant uh, theological difference between the two of them. And, and keep that in mind as we go into this, because you know, for the Jews, the temple is the place of God's presence in Jerusalem. And for the Samaritans, they didn't hold that that was the place of worship. So when Jesus directs them to go to the priest, um, there's, a, there's a significance there that I think we'll get into. And then the Samaritans seeing, well, we got a new place where God's saving presence is, is located. So. so there's this this long history of animosity, hatred between Jews and Samaritans. And just to, to add a little bit, every, I love everything you said, Pastor Wargau, but just to add a little bit to connect it to what we looked at previously on Sharp Iron in the book of Amos, you've been listening through the book of Amos, it's talked a lot about Samaria, and, and Amos is all about how Samaria is going to fall, and that happens at the hands of the Assyrians in 722 BC. And, and so it's that historical moment that Amos was prophesying about that we've just been looked at. That's what's led to this matter of exile and bringing others in and intermarriage and syncretism and all kinds of issues with worship. That, that has led the Jews to look at the Samaritans as, sometimes I've, I've heard it put, like they're half-breeds. I mean, really just awful things that, that Jews would have thought about Samaritans. And, and even to the point where the fact that Jesus is traveling through this area, there, there would have been some in Jesus' day who would have traveled around the area and, and avoided the mm-hmm. area of Samaria altogether. So, I mean, just that, that 
context is is very key to see that that the Samaritan or that that they're where he is and this history between Jews and and Samaritans is is an important thing that's going to continue to be developed as the the text continues. An, another key element that Luke brings out right away is that Jesus encounters. 10 lepers. And and here we need to look at a little bit Old Testament background again as to what's so significant about the fact that he's meeting lepers, Pastor Rorgau. Right, exactly. So, so you think it was bad enough being a Samaritan in Jesus' time, uh, especially um, in, in the eyes of, of, the, of the Jewish people. Uh, being a leper was, was you know, this is like a, a double hit here. Uh, so, so obviously, I think we have, a, most people have a general idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about leprosy and biblical understanding. Um, it, it's a term kind of that denotes several kinds, really, of infectious skin diseases. It's something that really kind of was a, a disease that uh, basically worked from the inside out, but it manifests itself on these sores and, 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 and such. Uh, so it, it was a, and, and I only know, you know, as much as I get from biblical commentaries about how bad this was, but it was bad and it was gross. And I mean, it was, it was a, it was a terrible disease. And it was in that sense to uh, something that made the people who had it uh, cut off. So not only was it a bad disease, but it was something that, that separated them from uh, two things, really. It separated them both in the sense of a horizontal relationship, if you will. Uh, that they were to stand afar off from people because they were unclean. They weren't to have uh, encounters with people. Their dwelling, as um, Leviticus 13.46 says, their dwelling should be outside the camp. And I'll read, I'll read that whole verse here in a second. But, but likewise as well, they were ceremonially unclean, uh, which is really significant when Jesus heals them, that um, uh, in particular Luke, Luke here uses the term they were cleansed because the idea here, the leprosy made them unclean according to Levitical law. So that cut them off first from the community. They're supposed to be outside the camp. Uh, but secondly, and perhaps even more importantly, they were cut off from the temple worship. You know, they weren't, they, they were unclean and they could not, uh, while they had leprosy, uh, uh, have that same worship that those who, who could be in the courts could have. Uh, and so, Really, uh, if you want to know kind of the, the details of, of, of the Levitical ceremonial laws concerning um, leprosy, it's all in Leviticus 13. But it kind of, I think it's at the end of the chapter there in 45 and 46, which really does tie into Jesus' encounter with them in this uh, certain village. Uh, outside of the village, really, we'd say they were, and what, what these ten lepers are doing, because they stand afar off and cry because... Uh, according to Levitical law, the leprous person, uh, this is Leviticus 13, 45 through 46, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Uh, so again, this, this, this encounter uh, is is one of Jesus coming face to face with the effects of sin, and, and we shouldn't kind of skirt around this as if leprosy really is just uh, a symptom of the of the greater disease of a fallen creation, sin and death. But it's manifested in this particular way. But we see a relation of, of leprosy to, to, to all sin, which makes us unclean, which uh, cuts us off from, from others, uh, and um, which, um, by which we have no recourse left but to do what the lepers do and cry to the Lord for mercy. So leprosy, and this isn't the only time Jesus deals with someone who's got leprosy. Leprosy serves right. quite well for those purposes. Not that, again, Jesus is, is going to... His his ministry is one of healing of every disease, and so we don't want to downplay that. But leprosy particularly is a very fitting one for him to deal with because of the way that it not only affects the body, the the physical sores that would have been awful enough, but the spiritual implications of being cut off from the people of God and from being cut off from the, the temple of God and where you could or couldn't go, what you could and couldn't do in worship— these, these implications, particularly with leprosy and the matter of uncleanness, all of these mm -hmm. things, when, so when Jesus is, is healing 
lepers. He's doing he's doing that that he's healing the physical disease, but he's he's selling he's telling us more than just the physical healing, right? I mean, what what all is going on with the healing right. of leprosy then, Pastor Wergo? Right, it's a re- it's a restoration not only of health but a restoration then to uh, to the worship of God and to the community of believers, uh, which isn't is not insignificant. Which is why I really think that the gospel writers Luke and and also Matthew uh, they hold off leprosy as kind of this 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 separate healing. It's not, it's not categorized with the other sicknesses. For example, so when Matt, when Jesus sends out the twelve apostles in Matthew's gospel, Matthew ten, he says gives the instructions to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, right? So there's these four things in particular, but healing the sick and cleansing lepers are two distinct things. Because, yeah, again, I think this, this healing of the lepers have a lot, has so much to do with the understanding of uh, not only uh, Jesus breaking into a fallen creation with healing in his wings, like he heals the blind and the lame and, you know, all the different occurrences. But the idea of leprosy is so, such a stark imagery of what sin does. Sin eats us from the inside out, right? Sin is manifested in our bodies, but it begins in our insides, in the heart, but it comes out. Uh, Sin, again, breaks our relationships with one another, uh, you think of, of, of particular sins that just destroy communities uh, and, and sins that, that cast people out from, from you know, families and, and, and communities. But then also, again, even the, the greater thing is, is sin is what makes us unclean and, and, and breaks our relationship with our Heavenly Father um, because He is clean and He is holy and He is righteous. Uh, and again, that's, that's why... Jesus' healing of the leper and a Samaritan leper at that. I mean, all, all ten are cleansed, but the Samaritan leper in particular who returns and gives thanks uh, just shows us what the, 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 the greatness of this grace of God, the, the breadth and the depth of the love of God uh, that, that he comes to such as these who really cannot help themselves, uh, but who rely only upon his Mercy is which for what they cry. Hmm. So, so let's let's go. We've got just under four minutes here on this side of the break. Mm-hmm. Let's start looking then at the prayer that these lepers offer to Jesus in verse thirteen. They lift up their voices. They they cry to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Pastor Wergal, with three and a half minutes left before the break, get us started into that prayer. Yeah, let's get started on this. It's a really brief prayer. Again, they're crying out from it, like lifting up their voices from far away, just like they're supposed to. They can't draw near. And um, they're not supposed to draw near. But, but first thing is they address Jesus by his proper proper name, if you will, right? So they know who he is. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, this is Jesus whose name means the Lord saves. Uh, they, they probably, I'm sure, they have heard what he had been doing. Uh, and they come then in faith, knowing that he can have mercy upon them. So, so again, they call him by his proper name, and then they call him Master, which is really, really an interesting word. It's not the word kyrios, which is where we get the word Lord, because they do say, have mercy on us. So we think of like our prayer in church, uh, Kyrie eleison, uh, which comes from the Greek, Lord, have mercy, right? So, so they don't say Lord, though. They say Master. Uh, uh, if you know the Greek, it's epistetes. Uh, and, it, it, and it's a word that's not found outside of Luke in the New Testament, first of all. And in Luke, this is the only occurrence where somebody calls Jesus Master other than his disciples, right? Um, I don't know what the significance is beyond that, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's really important that they're, that they're directing their their words to him in this particular way. They're calling him master, uh, Jesus, Jesus master. And then, of course, after that comes, comes the big word, uh, have mercy on us. Uh, that's specifically what they want from Jesus um, is, is to, have, to have mercy. This is the, the verb form of, of, of the noun for mercy. It, it, they, they want God to look upon their infirmities and not give them what their sin deserves, but to, um, uh, to be concerned, to have compassion, to have pity, um, 
because they're not able to help themselves. So, Pastor Virgo, how do we still got a minute left here before the break? Mm-hmm. So they they cry out for this this mercy. They can't help themselves. They they know who Jesus is. I, you know that's an interesting thought about the word master that only only the disciples use this besides this one place. And and yeah, I'm not sure we can make anything of that other than these lepers are at least somehow it seems connected to that. They're putting themselves near that same same camp. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. You know, I'm yeah, I'm not yeah, <laughs> right. I'm I'm not sure what else what else we can can say about that. And uh, you know, I don't know that we want to get in. We, I think we need to talk about what is this. You know, to have mercy and the fullness of this, how we how we make this prayer our own. I think we're gonna have to save that for the other side of the break because there's just not enough time to really start digging in <laughs> here. So you're listening to Sharper Iron on this Friday, November 29th. We're looking at Luke 17 verses 11 through 19. We're gonna take that short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Friday, November 29th, we're looking at Luke 17, verses 11 through 19, with Pastor Sam Wargau of Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wargau, prior to the break, we were discussing the prayer that the lepers offer to Jesus particularly have mercy upon us. You talked about how this is a cry for compassion from God to give them something other than what their sins actually deserve. How do we take this prayer as the church today and make it our own? Right, exactly. Um, We know that the the lepers couldn't do anything to help themselves. Um, I mean, I think the need for mercy and that cry for mercy ultimately comes or goes back to, to our condition which is the condition of the lepers as well in the particular sense of their leprosy. But in general, our cries for mercy always go back to our, our, our cries for the need for mercy always goes back to our, our sin. Uh, I think St. Paul really gets at this in Ephesians 2. Um, when he says, I think he defines mercy so well right there. And in, in, he defines grace and mercy and, and, and it's related to Christ really well in, in all of Ephesians 2, but in particular in verses 4 and 5. Uh, He says, but God being rich in mercy uh, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So so Paul there is is saying, is getting to the point of of how bad it is and why we need mercy uh, and, and where that mercy comes from. Um, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So there's nothing we can do to help ourselves. Uh, It's not, and and for the lepers, it's the same thing. I mean, they couldn't give themselves a cure. They couldn't, um, uh, they they couldn't heal this affliction that they they had. They're left with no other place than to to cry for mercy. And we, because of our sins, are, are dead, St. Paul says, in our trespasses and sins. But from that mercy of God, who was, in love, looking down upon us in our greatest need, uh, made us alive together uh, with Christ. Uh, and so we need mercy. Uh, we have that need for mercy because of our sin, um, which is the source of the problem, even of the lepers. Um, but that's also why, even if we are ultimately healthy human beings who aren't dealing with with uh, cancer or dealing with any sort of situation like that, we still know our sins. If we examine our lives according to the Ten Commandments, we still know our sins as it troubles and breaks our relationships in life, uh, as it, uh, we fall into temptation, we, we deal with, with sicknesses and suffering and, and all sorts of things in this veil of tears. So that because that problem is still sin, the cry of the Church is, again, still Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. And what's important to understand is that that's the prayer of the church. It says it's the prayer of the, of the lepers. 
and, and the prayer of the church is always based upon the promises of God. So that's why the lepers cry out the way they do. They cry out, Lord, have mercy. And we'll see here that the, the, um, the, um, Jesus t- talks about the Samaritan leper and, and tells him at the end that, that your faith has made you well or your faith has saved you. And we're going to see the role of faith in here, but that's precisely what this cry is. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Or when the church prays, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. It, it's always a prayer, which is the very voice of faith. And all of our prayers ultimately go back to the promises of God. So like the promises in St. Paul. He says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We have that great promise from God. It also goes ultimately back to the promise that God has given us that he will crush the head of the serpent, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The promise we see fulfilled then in the Christ who ultimately goes to the cross lays down his life, and is risen again, right? In those great promises of God, then, that we take boldness and confidence to say, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, that our situations, just like the lepers, are not so dire or not so deep that the Lord will not have mercy upon us uh, and, uh, and save us. So the lepers pray, and Jesus answers. Mm-hmm. And, and so in verse 14, we come to the healing itself, and he, he accomplishes this healing in a, perhaps a, a different way than we've seen him do other ones. He tells the lepers to go and show themselves to the priest. Why does, what's going on with Jesus' answer here? Yeah, it is different. So like Jesus' uh, other, earlier encounter with the leper in Luke 5, um, that one's interesting because the man full of leprosy actually comes, falls down on Jesus. He doesn't care about Luke 13 and standing afar off, but he, he goes right to the Lord and says, make me, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. That's not the case here with Jesus. Jesus doesn't always have to do miracles the same way. He doesn't, according to his good and gracious will, is how he accomplishes it. But there's always a purpose and always a reason behind it. So when he says, go show yourselves to the priest, it's different than how he's done other healings, where he just does it immediately. Uh, we know Jesus could accomplish his miracle in that way, but he doesn't here. But the end result is the same. But what Jesus is directing these lepers to do is to go to the one who, in Leviticus 13, was responsible for uh, diagnosing those people with leprosy as clean or unclean. And, and the idea here is that Jesus is saying, go show yourselves to the priest and and so on their going to that, they're cleansed. So, in fact, in a certain sense, the lepers, I think, are just, they're going based on the promises of God, right? They're going, doing what Jesus commands in that sense, and, and okay, we're going to go to the priest and we'll be, we'll be cleansed. Which is interesting because then it, that, that, that's according to the Old Testament ceremonial law. Leviticus, which again, even the Samaritan would, would account, would, would, uh, would, um, would accept as, as, as the word of God. Uh, but direct, Jesus directs them to the priest, and, but it's still, it's still according to God's will and Christ's word that they are, in fact, cleansed upon the way. Uh, so it, it's the same end result. They're cleansed, but how Jesus directs them to go to the, the temple and, or to go to the priest in that sense uh, uh, is, is to say that there, there is this, there's the one who will pronounce you ceremonially clean. But the Samaritan, I think this ties in really well with what the Samaritan then does. And he actually doesn't listen to Jesus, but he recognizes where the healing came from and that there isn't that need anymore, that the, the healing presence, divine presence of God is, is in Christ Jesus, which is why then he returns. So I don't know if that covered mm. enough of why Jesus directed them that way, or if you have something more to add to it. Well, no, I, I think I think you did a, a very good. I mean, that was very helpful. And I, I too think that verse 14, Jesus' command, is, is a key to understanding what happens in this text as it progresses. And, and to think about the question, which of the ten actually did what Jesus told them to do? And, you know, I mean, the way that I've, I've preached this before and explained this is like, well, on the surface, it, it looks like nine of them did what Jesus told them to do, and one of them didn't. 
But the one who didn't, he's the one that gets the praise from Jesus. So maybe there's something else going on as to what this, this Samaritan actually believes about who's the priest, where's the mm-hmm. temple, what's the place of worship, and, and that this text helps us answer those questions, that this, this Samaritan, as it turns out, believes quite a bit about about those texts there in, in Leviticus 13, also also Leviticus 14, I think, too, where where you get the oh, yeah. you get the information about how the priest would go about declaring someone cleansed. And as a part of that, there were sacrifices offered. And, and again, when you think about what the role of the temple was and, and who Jesus is and what he's come to do, I think what we're gonna see, and I'm I'm already kind of, you know, putting my hand on the table, this one Samaritan, he's actually the only one that that does what Jesus says. He goes mm-hmm. to the temple. He goes to the priest because he goes back to Jesus, which is which is where verse fifteen leads us. So, so Pastor Wargal, like I said, I kind of put my my cards on the table there for you. Keep keep going for us into this text. Yeah, what's fascinating though is, is that it tells us on the way they were cleansed. And again, that word particularly for cleansed is important. I think we've already kind of seen that, but the idea of ceremonially clean and unclean. But then when we find that word being used throughout the, the New Testament, uh, in the Gospels, but also in the Epistles, we see that there's a fullness to this idea of cleansing, uh, the, the being made clean, which, which is, not on, is not simply um, confined to ceremonially Levitical laws, unclean and clean. There's a bigger picture here. And, and so Jesus, you know, Jesus in the Beatitudes says, blessed are the pure in heart. That's the same word for, for cleansed, the clean in heart, for they shall see God. And, and, and in Matthew 23, he, he pronounces the wall and the scribes and Pharisees, calls them hypocrites because they clean the outside of the cup and the plate, right, through the ceremonial cleansing or, or whatnot. But, but inside they're not, right? They're, they're, they're unclean. Uh, inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. He really gets to the, to the heart of the matter. Uh, that that you need to clean the inside, and the outside will also be clean. Think of Psalm uh, 51, creating me a pure heart, O God, creating me a clean heart, O God. Uh, but then I think this is great. Uh, Ephesians 5, very well-known passage, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ died for the church that he might sanctify her, and here's the word, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that bapti- baptism reference there. And, and in First John, uh, the idea of we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sin. So, so this understanding of cleansing has a fuller, under, fuller meaning when we see it in relation to Christ. But I, you picked up on it, too, when you're talking about the idea of uh, ceremonially being clean, also tied in with sacrifice. Uh, and, and that was important, too. Uh, but ultimately, that points forward to, to, to Christ's sacrifice and to Christ's blood, which then is that which makes us, makes us clean. And, and so the leper is cleansed miraculously by the, by the word and the work of Christ. And, and we, by the word and the work of Christ, are, are cleansed, uh, not, not of leprosy, but of what is on the inside, what, what gets to the heart of the matter uh, of, our, of our sins. And, and we're given uh, uh, clean hearts, we're cleansed by water and the Word, uh, we're cleansed from our sins, um, and, um, and again, that John 1, 1 John 1 passage says, if we, conf- uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, this is very familiar to a lot of people I know, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that idea of forgiving sins and cleansing us from all righteousness, those are the, the same thing, just two different ways of saying it. That, that, uh, that and is, is set up there to just show forth that this great, greater emphasizes this concept of um, uh, uh, forgiveness of sins is the cleansing us from our unrighteousness. So this one leper, who happens to be Samaritan, as we're going to find out, he puts all of these pieces together. Nine of them don't, but this one does. And and in his response in verses 15 and 16, I think we get the reason that this is the gospel reading appointed for the day of Thanksgiving in our lectionary. But I also think that, that we need to see what the Samaritan does in verses 15 and 16, and we need to get more out of it than 
you should be like the Samaritan and make sure you go back and give thanks. Because there's <laughs> right. more there's right. more going on in the Samaritan's reaction than than just that. What is going on in the Samaritan's reaction, Pastor Wargau? Right. So the first thing is that he recognizes, he sees that he's been healed. Uh, but then he, he recognizes and acknowledges where that healing has come from, from where that healing has come. He, he, he turns back and he praises God with a loud voice. And I think this is interesting. So before he returns to Jesus, he's turning around and he's praising God with a loud voice. It's similar to crying out to the Lord with a loud voice for mercy. Now, now this, this cry for mercy is now a cry of, of doxology, of praise because of the answer answer to prayer because of the gospel, because the promises of God uh, have been given to this, this leper. It, it's worship language, um, and, and so it really does tie into our worship as well, um, the idea we being cleansed from our sins give, give praise to God. We receive the gifts of God by faith. We respond in, in thanks and praise. There's, there's an intimate connection between uh, thanksgiving and, and, and worship, uh, between receiving the gifts of God that he has to give and, and uh, giving thanks to God for, for his mercies. Um, uh, and so, but then, but then not only does he, does he, is it the sense of simply just turns around, looks up in the air, looks up to heaven and says, thank you, God, or praise God, but he goes to Jesus. And that's, that's the significant thing. And I, I think you're right. We're tying this up together. He goes to the priest. He goes to the presence of God. He goes to where Jesus directed him because you go back to the source of your healing. You go back to the source of all goodness and mercy. And then he falls on his face, which is the posture of worship, and he gives thanks to God. And I think we can note two things about this falling on the faith, face in the worship. The, the first is, again, the object of the worship. And told in verse 15 that the Samaritan glorified God, but it gets more specific to the object of that Samaritan's worship, right? Because he falls at the feet of Jesus, the Word made flesh. He knows who this Messiah is, and um, just as Jesus had directed the temple, which was the place of God's presence, to the priest, who was that intercessor between, between God and man in the Old Covenant, the Samaritan who actually didn't even hold Jerusalem or the temple to be the place of worship, realizes that the shift has taken place and the presence of God is in the person of Christ Jesus. And there he confesses Jesus to be God. Um, he worships him instead of going to the, the temple. Um, but then also, I think, again, because this falls again on, on Thanksgiving, so it's important for us to point out that there is an intimate connection between worship and Thanksgiving. The Samaritan gives thanks and worships Jesus. To give thanks to God is to worship him where he has promised to be. So the implications for this, when we consider Christian Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving from a Christian perspective, even a national holiday of Thanksgiving, or Thanksgiving in general, as our um, lectionary will tie in all these readings about what Thanksgiving is all about, uh, is we give thanks to God and we worship him precisely, not simply by saying thank you. Yes, we say thank you. But how do you how do, you, how do you give thanks to God? You receive what he has to give, where he has promised to give it. So, so in short, I give thanks to God, you go to church. You receive the gifts where Christ is present, and you thank and you praise him uh, for what he has given. Uh, so the, the Samaritan is putting all of these things together. And, and when we say this, I, I think it's not that we're disparaging the nine, because you can very easily imagine the nine doing what Jesus said and, and actually saying things like, thank you, Lord for this healing, right? But mm -hmm, but so it's mm -hmm. not so much about disparaging the nine as it is about marveling at the faith of the one who who, as you rightly said, the, the key is that he goes back to Jesus. That's how he praises mm -hmm. God by by going to the place where yeah. God is present in the flesh. And so Jesus then marvels at this in verses 17 through 19. And, and Pastor Wargo, just to give you the heads up, we're having a great conversation, but we got just about eight minutes left to, to deal with these okay, verses. Good. I want to make sure you hit <laughs> hit the most important stuff for us, because I know there's just so much here. So so help us into what, right. what Jesus says as he marvels here at the end of the text. Yeah, so first of all, he's kind of talking just about the, about the, the Samaritan, you know, I think he's probably talking to his apostles, these people he'd been teaching again, right? He's been doing all this teaching, and now he's, now he's, this serves a great teaching moment for the, for the apostles. Look at, look at this. A foreigner, a Samaritan, 
he is the one who returns to give glory to God. Now, again, right there is a point where Jesus is referring to himself as God, because the Samaritan came and worshipped and glorified God. So, pointing it out there, and, and he does call him a foreigner, okay? And this is uh, uh, the only time this word comes up in the New Testament. And it's a lot of times when we talk about nations or we talk about foreigners, we talk about Gentiles. That's the word ethnos uh, in, uh, in Greek. This word literally in Greek means of a different genus, if you will, or different genus. Uh, a different genealogy. Uh, it means to somebody outside of the, the genealogy of the Jewish people, right? So it's not like a kind term at all. But Jesus is pointing out, was no one but this foreigner, this one outside of Israel itself, the people of Israel, was he not the one? He's the one then pointing him out and, glorif- and uh, raising up his confession uh, uh, and marveling at it, but saying, look it, this Gentile, this this one who... The Jewish people look down upon. He is the one who actually returns and gives glory to God uh, in the person of Christ Jesus. Uh, Again, not to disparage the nine, but to see the clear confession that Jesus holds up, his faith. Uh, And and that's really, uh, really kind of key to this whole thing. And then he directs his his thoughts, or I should say his conversation, his his words, to, to the Samaritan himself, saying, rise and go or journey uh, uh, your faith faith has saved you uh, which uh, I think most like ESV English Standard Version has that as a faith has made you well uh, and it's, it's, it's the word where we get soteriology it's the word for salvation it, it's the word the, and, and Jesus and sometimes the English Standard Version does translate the same word as saved it kind of depends on the situation uh, that you're in like in Luke 7 it does use the word saved there. But even here, I think we understand faith saves. This is our understanding, again, that, that it is faith, which, which trusts in the promises of God, which receives from God what he has to give. That is what saves both the leper and saves us, just as St. Paul talks in Romans, right? One is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. This understanding of faith justifies uh, uh, and, and faith receives that which Christ has to give. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that you're right to to see it as your faith has saved you rather than simply made you well. I mean, certainly that is a part of it, but the, the fuller sense of saved, particularly when you think about all 10 of them, all 10 of them were healed. This one, mm-hmm. by his faith in Christ, was was saved. He received the fullness of the gift in recognizing, realizing who Christ was. Christ is. And, and then two, as you pointed out, just to, to bring it full circle, we still got under just under five minutes, Pastor Wargal, the, the okay. matter of, of rise and go, well, you, you pointed out for us earlier that, right. that this word for go particularly is, is the same word journey that Jesus is doing at the beginning of the text. What, I mean, why, why do we right. need to see that? Well, yeah, because I think it's, it's, it's understanding of journey means it's kind of similar to when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. It's, right. the, journey, it's the journey of faith. And, and the understanding is here that this, this man is, is going to go, he's going to journey, he's going to continue in his life with that same faith that has made him well. Uh, if, if you'll indulge me, I'm actually just going to draw from uh, uh, Dr. Just's commentary on Luke, because uh, he makes a point of this, which is where I got it. Sure, uh, go ahead. Says, Finally, Jesus tells the Samaritan to arise and journey. Faith has sealed his salvation as one raised to life, he is set in motion with Jesus and the pilgrim band. So this understanding of this word for journey and this pilgrimage. Jesus draws a connection between the Samaritans' worship of him as the locale of divine cleansing and Jesus' final passion, death, and resurrection in Jerusalem, where divine cleansing will take place as the fulfillment of salvation history. The hero of the gospel may catch the connection between the call to journey to Jerusalem and Jesus' suffering there, because the evangelist has provided the clue by beginning this cleansing miracle with his third travel notice. So, mm-hmm. so just ties it in that this, this idea when Jesus says, right, he could have said rising and, and, and go, there's, there's a word for go uh, in Greek, which is just as well. But this word for journey, again, uh, I believe, and Dr. Just holds it in his commentary, and I think it's, it's a great connection and certainly theologically true, that upon healing, Jesus makes this connection this isn't something that Jesus is doing arbitrarily, but it's a connection to his journey to Jerusalem and to the cross. 
uh, and really what the Christian pilgrimage, the Christian life, life is all about, centered upon that cross, which then ties it into our life. And the whole reason why we have this pericope in the first place for Thanksgiving, we, we Christians celebrate Thanksgiving around the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's why even um, the reading, um, uh, the, the epistle reading, uh, and, and even the Old Testament reading, uh, are preached with that in mind, this understanding that we give thanks even in uh, – and in all circumstances, and, and we give thanks to God because of the cross of Christ and the mercy, and that ties into the reason we receive mercy, too. The reason that the answer uh, is given, the answer, the, the answer to, the, to the leper's prayer is, is, is given, is, is because of the cross of Christ, because of the redemption God has won for us. And so uh, I think the journey kind of ties everything into Christ's work upon the cross at Jerusalem. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's not so much rise and, I mean, we hear rise and go your way, and we think like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm done with you, go away, but that, that's not it at all. It, it's more <laughs> it's more like, you know, it, it's not the words, come follow me, that he spoke to others, but it's a very no. similar effect, I think, yeah. and, and that's how we should, mm-hmm. we should understand what's happening here for this final leper. Jesus is inviting him into this, this life of discipleship with him, the life that, that has this Thanksgiving around the cross. I love that. Christians celebrate Thanksgiving around the cross of Jesus Christ. It's a, a fantastic way to to conclude this series on Thanksgiving. Uh, we're looking today here on Sharper Iron with Pastor Sam Wergau of Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana, helping us this morning with Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Pastor Wergau, thank you for your time today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Christians celebrate Thanksgiving around the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what was true for this one leper. He received the cleansing from leprosy, the cleansing from sin. He received that healing. But even more than that, he received the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, who is the true high priest, the one who makes the sacrifice for our sins that that avails for everyone of all time and every place. He's the true temple, the place where God dwells among us, so that when we cry to him, Lord, have mercy, he hears that prayer. He answers that prayer with exactly what we need, the forgiveness of our sins. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.